0: Welcome to Owl Have You Know, a podcast from Rice Business. This episode is part of our Flight Path series, where guests share their career journeys and stories of the Rice connections that got them where they are.
1: Welcome to Owl Have You Know, a podcast from Rice Business. I'm your host, Maya Pomeroy. Our guests today are Dr. Hassan Panahi, who's the director of the Strategic Initiatives here at the Lou Idea Lab for Innovation and Entrepreneurship. And two innovators that he helped inspire and develop who come from very, very different backgrounds and from very different industries, Uh, Delaney Berman from Berman Foods and Taylor Ann Adams from The Collective. So thank you so much for joining us today. So we talk about entrepreneurship at Rice Business all the time. I mean, this is the place to be. It's the number one graduate entrepreneurship school in the nation and we have a phenomenal ecosystem that cultivates and and nurtures innovators. But what does it take to be an entrepreneur? Right? What's that secret sauce? So today, we're going to talk about entrepreneurship and what it takes to get on that roller coaster ride of ups and downs and lefts and rights and twists and turns and you know, the occasional screams for dear life. Yeah. But if you're brave enough and strong enough and believe enough in, in that idea of starting something new, of doing something that nobody else is doing, of, of really changing not only your own life, but the lives of so many, well, then that roller coaster ride, it's worth it. So where does it start? Where does innovation begin? Wow. Well, you're in the room where it happens, right? It happens here at the Lou idea lab and the person that's in the room where it happens is his song. So we're going to start with you, Hassan. So let's talk about your background. So you are born and raised in Houston and your parents who are right here in the audience are both entrepreneurs. And you, uh, went into university to study, uh, management information systems. And at some point you had a pivot and decided that you wanted to enter the world of academia and cultivate innovators and entrepreneurs. And then you landed here at Lilly. So tell me about your journey and your story and, and how it all began.
0: So I'm probably here, I would say, by accident. Uh, I never intended to pursue academia when I was going to college and undergrad. I was actually wanted to be a software developer. And so I spent a lot of my time, my free time in front of the computer. Um, my parents were fortunate enough to buy me a computer when I was like eight years old. And back then, I'm a little old. So back then it was, uh, it was really nice to be able to just like go and like tinker. And so that kind of carried through to college. And when I graduated in undergrad, uh, a professor came up to me and basically said like, you know, if you thought about joining the PhD program and I was like, not really, I don't really know what I'm planning on doing when I graduate. Um, and so I stuck around and did that for a few years. Meanwhile, I was working on startups. I was working with, uh, some co-founders on, on a few different ideas. Um, and then I was, as I was nearing the end of my, uh, graduating period and sort of the PhD, I really came to this point where I was like, I don't want to do, I don't want to go into academia. Um, And the reason for that was that much of what you do as an academic is you do really meaningful research. But the time with which you do something versus when you see it actually come into fruition takes a very long time. Right. And so I I guess I have a short attention span and I was looking for something that was a little quicker. Um, And so I actually ended up graduating and starting uh, a consulting company. Right. And so I was building mobile applications, web applications for people. Before that, you know, while I was in grad school, I was the CTO of a startup as well um, and helped build all the technical infrastructure for that. And, you know, when I graduated and I started working on a consulting company for a couple of years, that same professor, seven years later, comes back to me and says, hey, by the way, like, do you want to teach a class at U of H, which is where I graduated from? And I said, sure, I'll come and teach a class on software development. And as I was sitting there in these classes where people were building things, I noticed that... There were so many opportunities for people to actually move forward, to actually take these ideas and bring them to impact. But there was no infrastructure for that to happen. You know, U of H at the time had the number one undergraduate entrepreneurship program in the country, still does. Um, But that program really was designed in its early stages to support the 40 entrepreneurs that raised their hand and said, I want to pursue business. I want to pursue entrepreneurship. And it didn't necessarily do as much to support the other 39,960 people that were going to U of H That weren't necessarily going down that path. And, you know, both of my parents were entrepreneurs, um, and I think that left an impact on me in a sense that it made it seem much more accessible, and I wanted to make it more accessible to other people as well. And so I started um, this entrepreneurship program at U of H that then turned into a, a startup accelerator program that kind of supports entrepreneurs. Uh fast forward, you know, three years, four years later, Yael Hochberg, who is the head of entrepreneurship here at Rice, reached out to me and said, Oh, well, you know, we have this really great number one graduate entrepreneurship program. And uh we're thinking of expanding that beyond just the business school. We're thinking about figuring out how we can make a bigger impact across campus. And so Lily, this space and the program, the courses, the co-curriculars, everything kind of came uh to fruition as a result of Frank Lou uh donating a significant amount of money. Um Back to rice to start this program. And Frank actually launched his own company, Love It, uh, in those dorms right there, DC and Love It. And um, and so having him come back and supporting that to to um, to launch this was was really pivotal. And uh, since then I've had the pleasure of sort of working with some really incredible people. Um, but yeah, it really it was all by accident, right? Like if you had asked me Ten years ago, if I would be sitting here today at Rice helping people with entrepreneurship, it probably was not in my life plan or my career goals. But I just kind of accidentally fell into it and just really saw an opportunity to help people um, kind of find their way.
1: So, so tell me about how the Lou Idea Lab fits into the ecosystem of Rice University.
0: Yeah, so at Rice, you have obviously the different schools uh, for the different disciplines, right? Um, and you have the School of Business and um, Generally speaking, Lilly is the hub and the center for everything entrepreneurship and innovation at Rice within the university. So, whether it's an undergraduate student that has a really interesting idea that they want to pursue, whether it's a PhD student that's commercializing a technology, whether it's an MBA that's been working on a venture or has a passion that they want to pursue, like we are that place with which they get, uh, they take classes, they get access to resources. Um, and essentially, our job is to open up doors for them and provide them the pathways to progress, right? And so, we have over 1,600 students that take our classes every year. Uh, we have a competition that we run that is um, a, a campus-wide venture competition that is happening at the end of this uh, month where we are handing out over $100,000 in equity-free funding to um, one of uh, five top finalist teams. There were 114 teams that applied to that. Uh, we do work around trying to commercialize research at the university. We, we buy out... Um, you know, graduate students' times and have them come here actually with us and spend time trying to figure out how to commercialize their ventures. Um, and we do a lot of stuff for alumni as well. So we have roundtables where alumni entrepreneurs, people that are interested in entrepreneurship and might not even actually be working on something, can come here, can come back to campus, have that support network, have that community. Because at the end of the day, when you decide to pursue this path, it can sometimes be pretty lonely, right? And so like, having that support network and having that community is is really critical. I always say, especially to the undergrads, that you know, when you walk down these uh, sidewalks, right, someone might be wearing a brown college shirt or a Weiss College shirt or whatever sort of residential college they are a part of, or you might recognize them from, from uh, one of your classes. But it's really hard to know who is actually an entrepreneur, who's actually interested in entrepreneurship. And so what this space, this physical space is designed to do is to be that hub for that as well, right? So it's not just the classes, it's not just the co-curriculars, it's, it's all of that infrastructure that gives people the time and space to explore this. Awesome.
1: So let's turn to you two innovators who uh, has, you took Hassan's class. The very first class is the new enterprise, right? I took that class, not with you because, you know, your classes fill up super fast, but, uh, but I did take that class. And, and so was that, let, let's start with you, Taylor. And was that your very first experience? Well, first of all, let's talk, let, let's talk about her for one second. Like she, she, this, this woman has literally done everything under the sun. Okay. So she started off, I'm born and raised in Houston, uh, went to Wake Forest. You were a theater major, right? Like- Kind of, yes. Communication theater. Communications theater. Uh, You know, really pivoted many, many times. You were part of a startup in Mexico after you decided, for people that made, women that were making soaps in Mexico. But before that, she was working in the movie industry, and helping influencers, and she's like, "Yeah, that's not what I want to do ever." Uh, and so and so so tell me what led you to VC, because that's ultimately what you're doing now.
2: Absolutely. Well, thank you for that introduction. Um, so, you know, I came to Rice knowing that I wanted to go into venture capital. Um, I don't have a traditional business background, and I knew that I really needed to get some of those hard skills that are necessary for that industry. Um, so it was not my first experience. New Enterprise was not my first experience in entrepreneurship. I'd had a, a company before. Um, but I will say that it is the most valuable class I've taken at Rice Business because it actually, it makes you do the work for for every everything you learn in Rice Business comes to fruition in New Enterprise and you have to actually execute it and explain it to people. Um, and so I think that was, absolutely, you know, a pivotal moment in my career um, as an MBA student and moving into venture capital um, to really help me understand entrepreneurs and that journey specifically. Yes, I had done it before, but I didn't do it well. Hence the reason that I'm no longer, that's no longer a company. Um, but yeah, so I would say that, um, yeah, New Enterprise was absolutely p- pivotal. <laughs> you absolutely do. They stick with you a little bit more. <laughs> um Yeah. So, um, again, I came in knowing I wanted to be in BC, and that was primarily because I'd been working with startups before coming to Rice um, at a local co-working space here in Houston and recognized that the biggest challenge that founders have is access to capital. It's hard to find people to invest in your ideas and in you as an individual and I also noticed that there were not a lot of women writing those checks, and I wanted to be someone who could make a difference in entrepreneurs' lives, who in turn, as you said at the beginning, you know, will change other people's lives. Um, so I'm, a, I'm very bullish about entrepreneurship and about entrepreneurs in general. I believe they have the capacity to change the world. And given the right tools and resources, they can and will. So I want to be one of those tools and resources.
1: So what are you doing now? Can we? I know you're in stealth mode, but we can talk a little bit about it. Yeah, we can talk a little bit
2: about it for sure. So um, I'm a co-founder of a venture capital fund that's going to be based here in Houston or is based here in Houston. We are investing in sports tech and entertainment. So as mentioned previously, I have an entertainment background and my co-founders have a sports um, management background. And I also um, helped start an esports company during COVID. So have a little bit of that gaming experience as well. Um, so we're going to be investing in founders across the United States from Series A and B, writing smaller checks and following on um, to to other rounds, but primarily, um, my, and my focus specifically is on female founders in the space.
1: And so part of what the collective will do is appropriate a certain number or amount to female that's founders. Exactly. Yeah. So that's my, my, I mean, that's my passion and my
2: focus um especially in the sports and entertainment industry women are often very overlooked so it's um it's a nice it's a nice kind of way to weed through a lot of the things that are out there and get some people's voices heard that typically aren't
1: well and also being overlooked in terms of of a VC oh, in and general. sports tech like yes. that's that's usually a male dominated those are male dominated <laughs> industries or have been in the past yes. there's always there's always time to change those things which is what you're doing which is incredible but but how how have you overcome that where folks are like, oh, okay, well, what is it that you think you know? Yeah, right? Absolutely. It- and and I don't think that's, you know, only
2: limited to women. I think that happens a lot with emerging managers. Like how, how can I trust you with this money to invest in the right companies? Um, and so that is a question we get asked frequently. Um, and a lot of it has to, you know, I haven't, I've invested other people's money before and I've done some of my own investing, but um, a lot of those companies are super early. So it's not like you've seen them it's not, you know, Twitter and it's not Facebook um, or Meta, sorry. Uh, (laughs) So um, a lot of it is just trying to build the trust with individuals and let them know that, you know, I'm being communicative with them and being honest with them. Um, And that's a big, a big piece of the puzzle uh, with my co-founders as well. I'm lucky enough to have some great co-founders who are super supportive of me. And while I'm the only woman on the team, it is um, a really nice environment that enables me to be a little uncomfortable at times, but also know that I have the support there. So um, the question comes up a lot, like why you and why now? And you just kind of have to
1: go at it with unbridled enthusiasm and just make sure that you can uh, convince them. And and speaking of timing, whether people want to acknowledge that we're in an economic downturn or not, it's it's more challenging now uh, to raise venture funds, you know, and and when I was in uh, Financing the Startup with Blair Guru, he was it was about a year and a half ago, and he was like, this is going to end. Like, There's going to be a stop to this. And so I, I remember those words um, profoundly. So how, how do you deal with something like that? And, and how do you convince people where, you know what? We're not going to put your money into fixed income where you have a, an automatic return, but well, how about you take a chance on me? Yeah,
2: and that that is something that we've we've encountered, and
1: obviously this is a market correction, so it was bound to happen,
2: as Blair predicted. Um, and it, and so a lot of it is looking at the market in and of itself, and these are skills that I learned at Rice, and skills that I learned in New Enterprise, and understanding that the sports and entertainment market is actually very recession proof. If you look at the changes of um, money and like different stock prices, and you look at the valuation of different sports franchises, it, it's actually Outpaces the S and P 500 exponentially, so sports is not going away. And (laughs) um, because of COVID, it has actually accelerated the technology within the sports ecosystem. And so there's so much room for innovation and opportunity. Uh, We partner with the Houston Rockets, and they, uh, you know, they have a director of innovation whose sole job is to find technology that could benefit the organization, and that ranges from. Cybersecurity to protect the stadiums, to player, you know, player data capture and wearables. So, the time is great for sports, and it's also great to be investing because companies are at a discount um, when when there's a market like this. So, um, yes, the raise is a little bit tougher, but you just gotta you gotta have the conviction.
1: Absolutely, with anything that you do. Yes. So, so Delaney, let's let's turn to you because you're not raising any funds, right? Okay, so so tell me about your background. So you were raised vegetarian and vegan and really saw a, a, a problem in the market and you just went after it and I can't wait you guys get a treat at the end of this but I'm gonna let her tell her story of, of her inno- innovator story of what she's created and and working
3: with your brother by the way yes yeah. yep um so yeah I'm like both of them and that I never would have predicted I'd be here Um, I plan on going to law school for most of my childhood and schooling years. Um, Went to work at a big law firm in D.C. after undergrad as a paralegal in litigation and did not love it. Um, Vividly remember calling my mom like crying in the middle of the night on trial or, you know, on an offsite trial. And I was like, I got to do something else. So quit that job, moved to L.A., with very little planned and um, started working as a nanny and personal chef there I had loved food and um, like you said grew up vegan vegan and had some experience in uh, high school and college working with the dining halls to bring vegan options to campus Um so I, I knew that I wanted to work in plant-based food at that point I'd been watching all this growth happen um, in some really cool startups and just seeing how you know Different veggie burgers became from like the late 90s to you know 2018 um and realized that that wasn't happening with cheese right so um why cheese yeah so uh, there's some science stuff that makes it really hard to replicate um what dairy does to make cheese happen um some proteins some sugars that are yeah just perfect for that mission um They're also really addictive. So we get really hooked on that flavor um, in a way that doesn't happen with, you know, a lot of other food. So it just, yeah, wasn't, it wasn't a focus in the space. I think burgers and meat kind of were a bigger focus. People don't necessarily uh, tie the ethical implications and environmental implications of dairy and animal agriculture in the way that they do to meat. I think that was a bit of why there were fewer innovators in that space. Um, but just on a personal basis, it was always the thing I missed most once I went vegan. Kept waiting, waiting, waiting for good products to come out. They weren't coming out. Um, I was, like I said, personal chefing at that time. And I had, you know, my clients wanted good cheese and weren't really any options. And um, so I knew that I needed to go get an MBA like Taylor AM because I didn't study business at all. I knew nothing about business. Um knew I wanted to get into entrepreneurship. Realized that cheese was a a wide open space. Um but still at that point planned on just going to work for another startup after B school. Um yeah, and somehow ended up here instead. <laughs> well, that's good.
1: That's good for us so you ended up in the best place that you could have, you know? Um but but that's also something that that I, I see a thread a similar thread with with entrepreneurs is there's a problem and they kind of wait for somebody to solve the problem and nobody's solving the problem so they're going to solve the problem and those are usually the the most successful ones so you know in, in terms of of I mean it's a billion dollar business the food industry right and and more and more people are switching to becoming vegetarian and becoming vegan and really being very health conscious and and aware of what they're putting into their bodies. So, um, you know, that... So what year was that that you decided that this was what you wanted to do? So law
3: school... Let's go back a little bit. Okay. So graduated undergrad in 2016, worked in law till 2018, moved to L.A. um, to get on the ground food experience. That was kind of where vegan stuff was happening in L.A., It wasn't really happening as much anywhere else yet. Maybe New York. I was very much debating between New York and L.A. um, Put up a poll on my Instagram and uh, went with the results. That's amazing. (laughs) I Um, got that story. There was a little more planning that went into it, but not much. That's Um, why I'm going to make all of my big decisions in my life as
1: well. I'm going to put up a poll and and see what people say. And then I'm just,
3: yeah. I had friends in both places, and I was like, New York's really cold, a little more expensive. L.A., at least I've got the sun. I was pretty done with snow by that point. Yeah. Um, Yeah, so. And knew i wanted to go to business school at that point to to get into entrepreneurship i thought it would be too big a leap on my own um so working as a personal chef and nanny afforded me the time to study for the gmat um so that was 2018 i was applying 2019 and then COVID happened yay COVID happened luckily i was already in had committed to rice because i applied round one um, I actually came to Admit Weekend in, I think, January, where I met Sophie Randolph, who was one of the other Rice founders, um, and then COVID happened in March. Yeah. So that was a sort of timeline. Right. Um, and we're all still here. We're all still here. <laughs> yep. I was not sure if B-School was going to happen at that point for our class or if we were going to get delayed or what, but... um so came in knowing that this was a problem space I was interested in, but didn't really honestly think that I could do much for it on my own. Um, but at some point had the realization that there were a lot of startups with money who hadn't made it happen yet. A lot of big food companies who hadn't, ha- you know, made it happen yet. Nestle hadn't fixed the problem. No one like that had done it. So I thought maybe I'd actually have a better shot, like, on my own in my kitchen if I just played around and did a lot of research. Um, yeah. And you haven't had big raises. You haven't had to raise a lot of funds. So so yeah. tell me how is this a bootstrap business? Like how do you how do you do it? Yeah, so some combination. Um we're really lucky that we got some friends and family money, uh, a little bit just so we have some cash on hand. Um thought about raising more last summer and decided not to go that route. Um why my- why? why? Um I thought it would tie us to a certain growth to trajectory that maybe wouldn't be sustainable. Yeah. And I wanted to make sure that we could lead the way on what was most important to us and what I felt was most important to our business. Um which With is making really great products for everyone. Yeah. Um in a way that's nourishing to our bodies, sustainable, uh customer focused. Um and my brother and I both still work part time for other other businesses, which is part of the reason we can do this. So And your brother, so hot sauces. Yeah, so simultaneously all this was happening. My brother was a brewer in San Diego. Um, He's always loved all things fermentation. He's like does sourdough. He was roasting coffee, started as a home brewer, then moved into it professionally, worked at some really cool breweries on the West Coast um, and started at some point doing fermented hot sauces just for fun. Um, and then giving them out to, you know, friends and family and getting really good feedback. So he was like, okay, maybe I'll start selling them. Um, he came up with this really cool brand called Prophecy. It's this whole one-eyed owl thing because this owl literally landed like on his balcony with one eye. Oh, another owl? Yeah, another owl. Oh, okay. Um, there's a, there's a trend here. Yeah. (laughs) And he looked it up. And so, yeah, Prophecy Hot Sauce was the brand and that kind of came out of that experience. Um he was looking up like the omens um yeah but they're all fermented and we started talking probably about a year into b school i was working on cheese at that point I had been through new enterprise was incubating at mercury and um some stuff was happening on the craft beer scene where it was becoming harder and harder to make it as a craft brewery uh, especially on the west coast where there's a lot of competition um and we started talking about combining forces because he had the more technical fermentation background that I didn't have at all. Um, So, yeah, we just kept having phone calls and talking it through. And one day he was like, okay, maybe I'll come in about a year. Um, And then right before graduation, he was like, I think I could come this fall. So that timeline moved up quite a bit. Um, And, yeah, he just quit his job, moved to Houston. So you guys were close growing up, I'm assuming. Yeah. Definitely close. We're the only two. But I went to boarding school at 15. So um, and then school on the East Coast, lived on the East Coast. So we had lived apart for a while. You know, what is that? 12 years, something like that. So. um,
1: So Hassam, so when when you meet these incredible uh, entrepreneurs and innovators and they say, hey, I've got this great idea for cheese. Right. And and then so what is your process in terms of evaluating ideas? Because there's there's I mean, listen, I have ideas all day long, every day. And and so so like what what's the what's the litmus test? Right.
0: Well, first of all, uh, I've had the cheese and it's incredible.
1: And so we're I'm all just... going to have the cheese.
0: So that <laughs> is great. You're in for a treat. Um, actually, I was thrilled when Delaney showed up with uh, this idea of, you know, wanting to do this plant based cheese because um, I think it made a lot of sense, right? Like that was her background. That was her own personal experiences. That was something she knew really, really well. It was, um, you know, it was just something that was inherently her interest. And I think that when we look at people's ideas, when we look at, and we get, I mean, I hear the same things. I I hear many of the same ideas over and over again. Um, and I, um, really try to find a way to map whatever that idea is to a problem that needs to be solved. And that problem to a personal interest or curiosity that that person actually has, right? So um, certainly there are people out there that are thinking about entrepreneurship as a way to just make money as quickly as possible. And I'm here to tell you that that's like, actually not typically what ends up happening, right? But more importantly, it's, you know, it's having that interest and that curiosity that's going to drive you when times are rough, when there are, you know obstacles you're going to encounter when there are challenges that you face, and so what I'm always asking that person whenever they're talking about their ideas is to try to get a sense of like the origin story, right? Um, and what is it about them that really positions them to want to pursue this in that roller coaster, right? Like what's going to keep them going? Um, and and the other part of it is really just trying to validate and just go out and understand how big of a problem is this for everyone else out there because you know there might be a problem that I experience, but am I really seeing that out there? And so we encourage people to kind of get out of this sort of, out of their heads, honestly, because so much of that time when you have an idea is just spent analyzing it and analyzing it and analyzing it and thinking about what if I did this? What if I did that? What if I did this? And it's just all about like breaking it down, thinking about what's the actionable next step that I can take today with no money and with no resources to try to further understand whether or not this is worth pursuing. And I think a lot of what we have to do here at Lilly is to try to, cleared out pathway for founders to to kind of have the tools and resources at every step of their journey because at the end of the day you know you come to a to a highly ranked business school like jones or rice business you come to a highly ranked university like rice you have a lot of options when you graduate right and a lot of those options have very clear pathways and it's like you want to do investment banking Here are the seven steps that you need to take in order to do it. It's going to be super competitive, but here are the seven steps. You want to go into consulting. Here are the six steps you need to do in order to do that. And so for us, there's there's a process we follow, but a lot of it is really just providing that support and just letting people see that there is an endpoint that they can get to. And that even though that path is not linear, even though that path is not immediately clear, even though it's going to have those ups and downs, like there are ways of measuring your progress that are meaningful. And that's, that's essentially what we try to coach people and support founders through.
1: So what has been, for both of you, this is a question for both of you, what has been the most surprising
3: uh, in your entrepreneurship journey? I'll let you start, Delaney. So I came to business school to learn finance and accounting and strategy and all these things that are really helpful. And what I'm spending 90% of my days learning right now is content creation because it's super important for CPG brands and I knew nothing about it. So I'm like watching YouTube videos on how to make a reel and trying to build that into my calendar, and it's yeah. I had no expectation that I would be spending that much time trying to figure out Instagram. I, I think you need a new course.
0: Uh-huh. Uh, it's funny you mentioned that. Uh, <laughs> actually, I'm just gonna give a quick plug for this. <laughs> we are doing a. This is for freshmen though, so maybe not immediately the audience here, but we are doing every every freshman at Rice has to take a writing course as uh, sometime in their year. In her first year. And so we are doing a course uh, for creators and how to turn their passion into products. And part of that includes things like writing in public, publishing in public, getting that feedback loop started and trying to grow your, uh, capture the audience's attention. So it's been the books for the fall.
2: Excellent. Okay, Taylor Ann. So it's the most surprising thing I've learned in entrepreneurship, is that right? Yes. Okay, okay. I just wanted to clarify the question. Yes. Um. Let's see. I think... <laughs> how how much um i have to rely on like my own uh self-confidence in order to continue doing things like there's you can have a a a million people supporting you and i give so much credit to the Lou idea lab for that um like there are there's so many resources that can help support you but at the end of the day it's up to you to continue on the path no one's going to do it for you so um and then there's no rule book and there's no guidebook, as Asam was saying earlier. So a lot of it is just kind of continuing to try to figure out, like, it knowing that I am capable of doing this thing and continuing to follow through with it, even on days when it feels like, what am I doing? <laughs> yeah, like, this is a really bad idea. <laughs> it's not. It's a very good yes, idea. You know, it is a good <laughs> idea. Disclaimer. Great idea. Wonderful market. Great opportunity. But um, sometimes I think it's hard when you're building something from scratch, too remember all of those
1: things when you're doing the day-to-day. So let's talk about the Houston ecosystem, right? Because we live in, in, in Houston, and it, it really is um, a, a fertile ground for, for entrepreneurs. Oh, tell me about your thoughts about starting something new um, and being here in, in Houston. And what, are, what are the, the, the benefits? What, what, are the, what are some of the weaknesses? You know, How could Houston be better uh, equipped to to help uh, entrepreneurs here in this city because you know it was, it was Silicon Valley and then it was Austin and then you know there's there's Herzliya in Israel I mean there's there's these these pockets throughout the world that that are known for innovation so how do you think and Houston's getting there you know we've got Greentown Labs we've got the energy Trans I mean there's there's Halliburton Labs there's uh, all, all sorts of things that that are happening here which is very very exciting but how could it be better For all three of you, I'm happy
2: to start with this one because I am extremely bullish on the Houston startup ecosystem. So um, I'd been in LA and New York previously and started to kind of get into the startup world in LA, and it's interesting and fragmented and chaotic, and everyone works for Tesla and and then they also have something on the side. Um, It's different here, just like Elon, just like Elon, right? You know, Twitter and Tesla. Um, So. So I think that the city is doing a really good job and there are private organizations within the city that are stepping up um, where I think that Houston needs a little bit more support. I do think it needs a little bit more support from um, like from the public sector. Um, There are definitely champions of innovation that exist in Houston. And there is I mean, there's so much money here. There is so much talent here. We have. The Texas Medical Center. We've got Rice. We've got U of H. We've got TSU. We've got Saint Tom. I mean, there's there's so much opportunity here. I think what it's going to take is um, for some, for people to uh, drop egos and allow for there to be a lot of community building as opposed to trying to to win.
1: Hassan.
0: Yeah. So I. Um... I think that was great, actually. I, I uh, So I've been a part of this ecosystem now for about 15 years. So I've seen um, kind of the highs and lows of it. I've seen uh, different iterations of institutions that have tried to centralize and tried to build density. Because obviously, as many of you know, being in Houston, it's very fragmented. Everyone's kind of spread out. And having some sort of nexus or center where that activity can happen is really critical. Um, and I, And I'm confident. I'm confident and I'm bullish, just like Taylor Ann is, because I think that what what we're seeing a lot of now is people are kind of waking up to the fact that we are, you know we can't rely on energy as our a sole source of innovation. We can't rely on healthcare as our sole source of innovation. We have to look elsewhere and try to bring people here to to build things. And I think the other part of it that's hopefully going to we'll start seeing more of see more of it over the course of the next few years is seeing people win, seeing companies exit, and then those people then coming back and feeding into the ecosystem. If you look at some of the most successful ecosystems uh, just in the US, right? That's where a lot of it has happened. It's entrepreneurs that have made it, that come back, give back, um, that contribute, that are are part of that sort of cycle. And so I'm hopeful that that'll happen soon. And I think a lot of what, um, you know, a lot of what the community is doing um, is is trying to create that density and create that interest and create that activity um, and so I'm I'm pretty excited about it. And, and I think that uh, Rice is trying to play a pretty big role in that, or uh, at least be very active in it. And so uh, I think the next few years are going to be really exciting here in Houston. And personally, as someone that's grown up here and lived here all my life, I'm just super excited to see all of this activity and just um, the growth that we've seen over the last few years. Yeah. So
3: I'm the outsider on this panel. I did not grow up here um that's okay we'll still we'll still claim you okay good um came for rice and fully expected to leave houston at the end of it i looking at b schools immediately fell in rice fell in love with rice for the entrepreneurship program um but i was like i have to live in houston for two years i guess we can handle it we'll just move after um and completely changed my mindset after living here i love the city so much uh but ultimately stayed to build our company here because of rice because of mercury i've had all this amazing wonderful support here without which i would not be doing this right now um and i wanted to stay close to those connections and uh for food specifically whole foods and heb are both headquartered in texas um so in terms of distribution and growth there's a lot there i will say the one thing houston doesn't have it all yet like all the cpg companies are in austin which is Given how much diversity and how much food diversity we have here is wild because there's a ton of potential, a ton of great food and like no CBG companies. Um, I've met a couple other founders through being in the farmer's markets. But, yeah, we need a lot more infrastructure here. We need good commercial kitchens, which we're really struggling. Like, it's really hard to find a good commercial kitchen space here. Well, somebody Uh, needs to come up with that idea. Yeah. If anyone (laughs) wants to build one, I can tell you
1: exactly what would work. (laughs) Yeah, see that's synergy. That's called synergy here. Um, so so can you tell us some of the markets that that you're targeting for
3: for your products? Yeah, so we developed this in new enterprise one of my teammates is here, but um <laughs> our go-to-market strategy was always to start in farmers markets, which is what we're doing now, um get really quick customer feedback which has allowed us to iterate um pretty quickly, test new flavors, test Like, we're trying to figure out how to tell the story that connects the hot sauce and the cheese now that we're doing both and they're kind of different brands. Um, Markets. So starting here, then we'll probably do Austin and Dallas to stay within Houston. Um, And then our goal is to branch out to sort of secondary markets that don't have a lot of plant-based foods yet, but where I know there's disposable income and interest in eating healthy, eating well um so places like dc atlanta boulder um florida we're, we're from florida so tampa and miami are on the list um yeah and we'll just grow out little by little so long as that's we exciting. can meet demand yeah that's the plan we'll see how it goes but uh small independent retailers first and then ideally whole foods or hb within the next year to two years that's that would be incredible and you'll you'll need to keep us posted on, on
1: all of that. So so Taylor Yan, so uh, in, in terms of growth for you for the collective, tell me about that. What where where do you hope to be next year and five years from now? And what's your like pie in the sky dream? Oh man, I've got a lot of those.
2: So I'll keep it narrow. But um let's see, we've raised to date a little bit under four million dollars. Um it is a twenty five million dollar fund. So once we hit $5 will we'll be able to start deploying the capital into startups. I'm meeting with startups every single day, doing all of the due diligence and all of those fun things. So we have a, a, a strong pipeline. Um, but right now, our sole focus is raising this $25 million fund. Um, so in a year, um, my hope is that it's raised. <laughs> and, um, in that, um, and then in the next two to three years, um, we want this first fund to have a little bit of a shorter cycle, Um, so that we can get some some exits quicker with less ownership just to kind of prove that we can do it to your point earlier right um so i imagine that in the next year or two we'll be raising a second fund which will hopefully be um, at least two times bigger so at least 50 million to 50 to 100 million dollars and um yeah so that's that's kind of the pie in the sky for for me and i'm I'm keeping my vision to
1: five years right
2: now because if I go beyond that, it just gets a little scary.
1: So, so how do you how do you deal with the VC competition here in Houston? Because there's yeah. there's a bit of that. Yeah, absolutely. So,
2: so there is definitely there's about twelve or thirteen VCs here in Houston. There's not. Um, we all kind of invest in different things for the most part, so it's a pretty tight knit community. Everyone really knows each other in VC, and for the most part, uh, venture capital is such a network based industry at its core. So a lot of times we're sharing deals or we are co-investing with one another um, or sending, you know, sometimes it's not a fit for us, but it might be a really good fit for somebody else. So we're like, hey, we talked to this founder. We highly recommend you meet with them. So it really is a lot more collaborative than competitive here. The same can definitely not be said for the Valley, obviously, and in New York as well. But there, there is a lot of
1: a lot of cohesion here. Okay, so last question before we open it up for, for our, our guests to ask you questions. Yes. What's the, the best thing
3: that Hassam taught you? <laughs> no pressure. <laughs> Talk to customers early and often. Sorry. Did I steal yours? Um, yeah. If w- Had we not done that, we wouldn't have figured out how important nutrition was to the people we're trying to sell products to. It has completely shaped our entire strategy. And fl- I mean, I obviously always would have wanted our th- products to be healthy, but uh, I had no idea that it was such a priority within, you know, plant-based cheese and plant-based dairy. So that was, yeah, transformational. And
2: I would say Islam has a very lofty task of trying to teach MBAs to fail um, and try and just test and test and test and test because MBAs like things to be in a line and linear and makes sense. And we do case studies with specific answers. And Hassan basically tells you to throw it out the window when you get into this class. And it's really, really hard to do that when you've been shaped um, for a semester to think in a certain way. So I would say that the, the biggest lesson I've learned and what I continue to use every day and what I say to founders all the time is just test it, test it, like try it, see what happens. And you aren't going to know unless you do that. So not letting perfect be the enemy of good.
1: And Hassan, what has been the most powerful things that you have learned from some of the innovators that have been in your classes?
0: I mean, honestly, it's just a uh, it's just a massive amount of respect for the decision that they make. It's I, I think that like the more I the more I see, the more I get the opportunity to interact with founders, the more I am just like in awe of their courage and how they take that leap when it is not the obvious path and i yeah that that to me is is just learning from that seeing the way they think through that seeing how to you know instill that sort of or give them the space to have that confidence to pursue it has been something that i continuously think about and uh something i'm still learning how to like properly nurture and frame so i would say confidence to go into the unknown if can't think of a better way to say it.
1: Lifelong learning. Lifelong
0: learning. We'll go with that.
1: <laughs> Great. Okay. Well, we'd love to open it up to all of you uh, for any questions that you have for Hassan Delaney, and, and Taylor Ann.
2: Hello. Thank you guys
3: so much for your time. I'm Diabia, and so my question is, besides investing capital, are there other ways your investors can stay engaged in the growth of your,
2: of your businesses? Yes, one hundred percent, so while I am a venture capitalist, I also don't think that all companies need need to raise capital like I think Delaney's decision to not raise capital is very smart, and not all companies need it, obviously. so I think that the way that you gain investors and advisors, they should be you should send them a weekly email with just updates and if you're if you're trying to you know learn or understand something, just bounce it off of them like. Investors should be involved in everything else and not just writing a check. That's that's my frame of reference as, um, and that's the style of venture capital that I do. Not everyone does that. Um, but even if they aren't an investor and you haven't raised money, find those advisors and find people who you can send something to who can tear it apart um, or share it to the
3: right people. Yeah, of course. Yeah, I mean, I'll echo that since we don't really have investors um, finding advisors I'm lucky I got connected to a, another startup which is who I work for part time that's Rice business founded called Vegetable and Butcher they're in D.C. they do prepared meal door-to-door delivery and um, huh? also Rice Turner and yep. I interviewed him uh, he's phenomenal okay. yep so luckily yep. I get to bring work... up on I'll have you know just, just so <laughs> oh, know. awesome <laughs> um, luckily I get to work with him and see him most days and bounce ideas off of him and learn they're six years in Um, so I get to learn a ton from what they're doing and just talking to friends who are founders or VCs, um, talking to folks at Mercury who are always exceedingly generous with their time and insights. Um, yeah, advice is very helpful.
0: Yeah, I'll just add one, one quick thing. Um, and I think that, you know, we have a lot of, um, people that come from the outside into our courses and into our programs. And, and many of them are venture capitalists or investors, they're entrepreneurs or angel investors they're people from all different backgrounds. And I will say to like, it's interesting to see how sometimes when you first meet that person, you don't necessarily see what the connection might be with them. Um, You're like, Oh, this person's coming into a presentation and giving me feedback. Or, I met this person at this event or whatever it might be. And just staying in touch and doing things like those updates, uh, you know, you'd be surprised how many situations I've heard of where people will then reconnect years later and there there will be, whether it's investment or some sort of other opportunity, uh, there, there is some chance for them to work together, right? And so it's just like, take those relationships seriously. Uh, you'll never know when they might be of value again.
1: Anyone else? Any other questions? Okay, well... We wanted to thank you, all three of you, Hassam, Delaney, and Taylor Yen, for being here today for that. And then if you have enjoyed uh, this taped podcast, please subscribe to I'll Have You Know. I'm not the only one. I also have a co-host who's phenomenal. His name is Scott Gale, and he's not here today because he has to go pick up children. And now he'll see it on the recording because I told everybody why he's not here. But anyway, um, you can subscribe to Apple Podcasts. or on Spotify. And we hope to see you at future events. Um and we hope you had a wonderful evening. I know, I know I sure did. I hope you guys thought it was less, was a very painful, right? All right. All right, great. Thank you so much. Thanks for listening. This has been I'll Have You Know, a production of Rice Business. You can find more information about our guests, hosts, and announcements on our website, business.rice.edu. Please subscribe and leave a rating wherever you find your favorite podcasts. We'd love to hear what you think. The hosts of I'll Have You Know are myself, Maya Pomeroy, and Scott Gale.